Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. Today, we're going to continue on in this series, Unshakable Saints. What's an unshakable saint? One who builds on the unshakable word of God, a life that is anchored, immovable, and indestructible. I'm going to tell you, like I told the last service, some of these things, you just get that background of like that Rocky Four music going on. You feel like you can do it all. So y'all just get some built-up music in the back of your mind for today. <laughs> well, we've been making faith declarations as a church. And I, can I tell you how exciting it is to be a part of a church that believes that the Word of God can change not just the atmosphere, but your internal reality. That when you speak the Word of God and you make something like a faith declaration over your life, it's married with the Word, it's married with faith, and it's married with what you got going on in your life. When you do something like that, it not only transforms what's going on around you, but it transforms how you think, okay? So what is a faith declaration? A faith declaration, okay, one who unites the heart and mouth to declare by faith the word of God and unshakable life declarations. It's what you say out loud. It's what you speak. And you know, some of us grew up in the day where it was, it was very much preached and, and taught. Don't speak that over yourself. Or speak that into existence. You say it over and over. What you say is what you become, right? Well, listen, it's true. And let me tell you why it's true. Because I, get, I, I have a blessing here. I also get to do some biblical counseling. I have a very big passion for the way we think, for the way humans think. Here's why. Because a lot of times we will come into the presence of God, and we will come into mornings like this morning and even last week where the presence of God, he's coming, he's coming. We feel it. We're here for it. We're here for it. But guess what? We're not here for just a show. We're not here to just do something for a minute and not have it transform our lives, okay? The way we think, it, it cultivates and creates what we live in. It does. Now, listen, some here have, come, have grown up in the charismatic Pentecostal realm and have said, I've done faith declarations. They didn't do nothing for me. I did those. I've done that. Can I tell you what I hear when I had to put my counselor hat on? When I hear somebody say, I've done that. Okay, it means you didn't finish it, though. When I hear somebody say, but I did that, okay, but it means you didn't finish it, though, okay? The supernatural is so wonderfully married with the physiological makeup of, because who's in charge of who created our brains, our skin, our makeup? God, right? As supernatural as is practical, I love it. you got to marry both to make it in this life. You have to because you can have a supernatural experience. You can have a miraculous experience, and God does it, and it will last you. But what happens in between the years that that, that miracle don't happen again? You have to learn how to live your life well, and you have to learn what to do when things get hard, when the miracle doesn't happen. You have to learn how to implement this into your daily life and not be found 
laden and sad and finding yourself so disconnected from God because another miracle didn't happen right when you needed it, right when you wanted it. So listen, the supernatural married with the practical. God actually created us with a brain that is malleable. All right, in the first service, I saw a lot of heads nodding up and down. And I, I know that this has become somewhat of a, of a more tangible, if you will, popular topic, particularly online with like how your neurological process works and neural pathways and neurotransmitters and all this sorts of stuff. But I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the, uh, the two-minute version, maybe, from my grad school. <laughs> maybe not. I love it. I get real passionate about it. What we say creates a reality that actually digs trenches in our brain. They're called neural pathways, okay? What we feel and experience about circumstances in our life, and then we begin to say things about them, the more you say them over and over and over and over again, they become permanent neural pathways. It's how somebody knows how to walk. A brand new thought begins to spark neurotransmitters. So a baby goes one, two, gets excited. The hormones, the chemicals, everything. Listen, God is a creative God. He's amazing. I tell y'all, if y'all haven't yet, y'all look at some neuro scans because they're fascinating. Okay? God did that. God did that. And he did it on purpose. Okay? So someone learns how to walk. Well, pretty soon, that neural pathway is so cemented and permanent, you ain't got to think about how you're walking, right? All of us here ain't got to think like my little toddler anymore. I mean, she loses her balance every now and then, but I don't, we don't, we don't, it's not a new thought. It's not a new neural pathway. Okay? So it becomes permanent. You know what's interesting is that Neuroscientists say that there's actually a cell, a Gilal cell, that was created to get rid of new thoughts and practices within 48 hours if you, don't, if you aren't consistent with them. Do you know what that means for us? Anxiety, depression, sadness, motivation, all those things that we keep feeling stuck with. Some of us say, well, I tried that. I tried to get set free. I tried. There are actual cells in your brain that were created to get new thoughts out if you don't do them within 48 hours or more. What that tells us is you have to be consistent if you want change. You have to do something about it. You can't just sit here after today and go, picture, 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 man, that was awesome. And I see you next week, and it's like, yeah, I don't know, nothing changed. What did you do? What did you do? Because science actually says that in 48 hours or less, a new thought gets taken away if, you're not, if you don't do something with it. Okay? I say all that. Yes, it's fascinating. It's fun. You're like, I'm not trying to bore you. What I'm trying to say is that the Lord was very clear about today. Some, if not most, churched Past churched or new churched people will say something like a faith declaration and come up in here saying something like, I tried it. It didn't work. That's like telling me that you done gone to the gym one time, once for an hour, maybe. Because I used to teach exercise classes and most of them were like 54 minutes. So you can round it to an hour. Okay, maybe an hour. And then you coming out saying, I didn't lose all 20 pounds that I thought I was going to lose when someone told me to get into the habit of being going to the gym. So you just stop going. Don't do that. Don't do that. I believe one of the biggest, one of the 
one of the biggest infections that we have to our spirits and our minds right now is giving up. And I believe it's masked itself so well because we don't got a phone that we do this. And giving up, back in the day, you used to have to tell somebody you gave up. I mean, people used to see you give up, right? Because we had more relational connection. We had more physical interaction with people. But nowadays, it kind of masks itself with busyness. You stop yourself from overcoming particular neurological thoughts that come against the alignment of who God told you you were and the freedom that you want to see in your life because you busy yourself with everything else you've got going on. I think the more we get into the word of God, the more we'd be able to discern what is actual from the Lord that we need to spend our time on. And what is there that the enemy is trying to distract us with? Faith declarations come to replace negative thoughts and things that have made permanent pathways in our brain. Faith declarations come to help move those out the way, replace them. Because how many of you know you got to replace something once you get it out? You can't go around talking about, here, I get it out, I get it out. Deliverance, deliverance, inner healing, inner healing. I done did it, I done did it, I done did it. But how come it's back with 17 of its friends? A, Scripture talks about that, is going to come back. If you move something out, you better be ready to move something back in. Faith declarations give us an opportunity to move truth into the neural pathway that seeks to keep you down. As a church, we are saying things out loud to replace the things that we have been saying either to ourselves, in our head, or out loud about ourselves that make it difficult to connect with who God is and what he says about us. Now, if you will, we're going to stand and honor the word of God and read Psalm 27, verse 6, because this is the faith declaration we're going to focus on today. We've got it up here on the screen, so if you want to read it out loud up on the screen or in your Bible, let's read this together. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Now stay standing for just a second because this next slide, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to read it together. Because depending on where you're at today, this is going to feel very encouraging. And you're going to be ready to, you are going to be ready to run that marathon of life as soon as you get out of here. Depending on where you are, some of you might be saying, mm, I, need some, I need some pump up music because it's hard for me today. So I'm going to read it first, then we're going to read it together. I will boldly declare the greatness of God and the power of his word. I will not live in defeat, but will stand my ground and fearlessly praise my God. I know God will lift me up and I will live life with my head held high. So let's say that together. I will boldly declare the greatness of God and the power of his word. I will not live in defeat, but will stand my ground and fearlessly praise my God. I know God will lift me up, and I will live life with my head held high. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. 
That's a declaration right there. Declarations are bold. They're direct. They don't insinuate things. They don't imply things. They say things. You say what you say. Your yes is yes and your no is no. A faith declaration should make you feel a little shaky. It should make you go, hold on, I got to think about everything that's going on. Yep. Say it. It's faith. You're speaking something out there that you cannot see against the things that you can see. You know, growing up, <clears throat> my daddy was a master of this. He still is. It just ebb and flows out of his speech. My husband's seen it. When we were first dating, he used to call it like the godfather scene. My dad would walk into a room, sit down in his chair, and everybody would get real quiet and turn towards my daddy. Because when he talked, he was going to say something that shifted somebody. And you know if my daddy were here, he said, bless the Lord. It wasn't anything I said. And you know, as his daughter, I can say some of that was what he said. But most of what he said was scripture. And the things he had declared over his life. God will never forsake me. He will never leave me. So he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. By his stripes and wounds I am healed. And so are you. I mean it just flowed and flowed and flowed. And it changed atmospheres. And it changed people's minds. They still do it today. They're so cute. They had, they had a week. And I called them. They had some hard things. And I said, you know, how are things how are things going? Y'all doing okay? And they said, you know, we'll bless God. We may not see it now, but we'll see it then. And God is good, and he is forever, and he is our, he is our savior, and he is the victory, and he's won death. And he's, took, I mean, it was a boom, 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 boom. And I was like, so you doing okay? And my mom was like, you know what? We may not be, but God is God, and he is on. And it was just seamless. And the fruit of their declarations is that there's joy that cannot be stolen. No circumstance that has befallen them this week or last has taken anything from them. Nothing. They hit their knees when they need to hit their knees, and that's what they've taught me. There are times in my life, in my husband's life, God blessed the man of God in our home with his four daughters, five women, y'all. I will never grow tired of telling y'all how patient and amazing my husband is with five women in his house. But listen, there are times in our marriage where there have been good reason that our heads have been here. And there have been times in our marriage where our heads have been here and we couldn't lift. We couldn't lift. Thank God for those around us. Surround yourself with people that know this and that know when the time is right to come and go, I'm going to help you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm going to help you and I'm going to feed you. There were times when that happened. And so we get here to Tennessee, and all these opportunities start opening up for both he and I. And then we get to this church where I, I, just, just God just opens things up. He just invited my husband and I jump in with both feet. We were actually talking about it this morning. God said, jump in with both feet. So we did. There are plenty of times for my head to get pushed back down when the enemy tries to remind me of who I was. But my God, if I give him more permission to remind me of who I was, you'd never see me. So instead, I give God more permission to remind me of who I am and who he wants me to be. Who are you giving more permission to? It's a choice. It's a choice. 
It's a choice. Who are you giving more permission to have a say in your life and what you do? But my husband, he's so good. Every time I've been pretty low, I tell you what he does consistently. He comes and sits next to me. If it's a really hard day, he sits across from me. <laughs> we know each other. We've been married almost 15, 14 years. He opens the word of God, and he just starts reading. Two times in our marriage where I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know how we were going to make it. I didn't. And I couldn't look up. He just sat there, opened the word of God, and read scripture. And I'm telling you, my testimony is this. The room that felt so dark, I actually began to realize it was midday outside. And he, he would just keep reading. He would just keep reading. And I tell you, in those times when my head was lifted, I realized this scripture, then I will lift my head, I will hold my head high. It's not about you. It's for you. It's not necessary because in those moments I realized God is with me. God's with me. But it's actually not about me. The higher my, my head I was able to see, and then I was able to see that it was midday and it was light outside. It wasn't actually as dark. It looked like nighttime to me. Oh, this is for you. And that's what God is saying today. Then I will lift my head high. I will hold my head high. It is not about you. It is for you. The goodness of God is that he wants to be with you. We have Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament, David. Ooh, David. David is the king of finding ways to praise God no matter what was going on. And in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, we have the description of what happens when David son with Bathsheba, he dies. Well, before that, he was lamenting. He was fasting. He was praying. He was everywhere. And the elders that tried to come lift him up couldn't because he was like, leave me. I am begging. I am beckoning heaven. I am at heaven right now asking God to save my son. They left him alone. His son dies. David, David sees the elders and everybody whispering and talking. He's like, what y'all talking about? Did my son die? And they said, yes. And he goes, okay. And what they describe next, verse 20, then David got up from the ground after he washed, put on lotions, and changed. He went to the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. They followed him because they were like, what is happening? We were actually so scared to tell you because you were acting like you were already dead. We thought this was going to kill you. What? And so David goes on to describe, but guys, he got up, washed his face, put on lotion, and worshiped. He worshiped. It doesn't say he didn't care. It doesn't say he wasn't sad. It doesn't say he didn't lament. It doesn't say that God wasn't with him in his sorrow. It says he went and worshiped. That's the only thing he knew to do to get him outside of that circumstance. We look at the New Testament and look at Paul. Paul starts out Philippians talking about how I'm in chains. Thanks be to God. And I'm like, hold on. Paul is just sometime, I mean, praise God for Paul. But I'm telling you. On my craziest days, I will read Paul and go, okay, I feel like I can relate to somebody. I mean, he's all over the place sometimes. He's in and out around the tree, coming to the tree, then he diverts, and it's just like, but everything he says is a word of God. Listen, Paul was put in chains, put in jail, and he's saying, praise God, because now everybody knows that Christ is being preached. 
I think Paul really understood what it meant to not live in your circumstances and in your atmosphere, but to live in the internal reality created here that drops to here, that goes all over. He had an anchor in who God was. He had an intimate knowledge of the nature of God that could pull him up out of the most dire and depressing circumstances that almost any could be in, anyone could be in where he was at. But he was able to go, I'm getting my anchor because I can't live in these circumstances. He knew that wasn't where it was at. He knew it. <laughs> I was thinking about this uh, after first service, and <clears throat> I felt like the Lord was like, I just really want people to believe I want them free. He wants his church to actually believe him, that he wants you free. The head being lifted up above your circumstances and your enemies has become this weird thing that our culture has masked so well that if you can't lift your head up, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, I know. It's, it's this weird placation of victimhood that our society has been able to do. It, it, it's this weird thing that culture has created this sense of like, but you can self-love your way out of anything, honey. You can self-care your way out of anything. And you know what? It's, it's a perverted sense of empathy. It's a perversion of empathy. Because I'm telling you right now, if you find yourself in the same cycles of thought and in the same circumstances that you did five years ago and you're no more happy than you were and you're no more free, that ain't empathy. That's the enemy. You cannot outdo the word of God. You cannot self-love yourself out of freedom and evil desires. You can't. He can. This can. Married with you. Here's the beautiful part you get. You get to choose it. A lot of us struggle with how much control we hear in church, how much control we hear in religion. First off, this ain't religion. This is the word of God. Second off, you actually get control. You get the most control in things like this. You get to choose what you feed yourself with. I've heard several people talk to me about how I can't retrain my brain. I can't, I, I don't, it's, I just haven't been able to. I'm still here. I'm still here. And you know what? The funny thing is, is I, I've thought about this as I prepared this sermon with the Lord. It's like, well, then how do people fully deconstruct? They've retrained their brain. How did they do that? They fed themselves what they most valued. They read themselves what they most valued. They had conversations with people that they most valued. They fed themselves with what they most valued, and it retrained their neurological pathways to believe something. It created a different belief system. But God is God, and he's bigger than anything and anybody, and he seeks to do that with your mind and the word of God. What are you feeding yourself? Who are you surrounding yourself with? What music are you listening to and what are you watching? That is feeding how you talk to yourself and what you say into existence. Holding your head high. The word high in Hebrew means rum. To be set on high. To rise up, to be raised and uplifted. 
It signifies movement, which means you have to do something. You have to choose to be displaced from a lowly place to a high place. Here's a couple of, re- of things we've got here, a couple of examples. Raising up from the ground or a low place, a new position of rank, power, and favor, from defeat to a place of victory. From a limited tight space to an open and wide. These are all examples of what it looks, what it can look like in your life to go from a low place to a high place. The beauty of God is that there are scriptures that can help us to retrain how we think about these things. There's going to be some scriptures up there. I won't have time to go through them all. But can I tell you one of the best practices that you can do as you approach faith declarations as you approach new and better and more true ways to think about things for your life, insert scripture into your daily life. Say it. Because the way you think now and how you think about yourself, those neurological pathways were created because of the things you have said either in in your head about yourself or out loud. They create pathways. So if you look at yourself in the mirror, Every morning and say, I could be thinner. I could be thinner. Guess what? After so many days, that's an actual cemented neural pathway that's just a reaction and response. And you feel so acquainted with it that it's become part of your identity. So why don't we change it? Well, here's the best way to change it. Get a scripture that speaks the truth against the lie that you've been saying to yourself all day. They're in there. I am beautifully and wonderfully made. Why don't you say that instead of, I could be thinner today. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I know it's hard. The simple things are hard. Work is hard. I think that's another thing that culture lies to us about. If it's too hard, if we got to work for it, I'm all right. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm with you. I get it. It's this weird thing. It's this weird thing when you get in front of a mirror, you get in front of someone that can hold you accountable. And instead of going with the regurgitating what you've always said in your head about yourself or about a circumstance, well, I probably didn't get that job because they like this. I probably didn't get that promotion because they like, promotion because they like this. Neurological pathways are roads. You have control over which direction that road goes. Stop saying the thing that keeps you from the rewards of God and start inserting the scriptures that align with the truth of who God says you can inherit. And what do you happen? What happens when your head's pushed down? Because it will be pushed down. It will be pushed down. God doesn't promise that only one person we love will die in our lifetime. God does not promise that we will only suffer for 30 minutes in our lifetime. He don't promise that. But he promises to be with us. The second part of that scripture says, above my enemies who surround me. And David made it clear. (laughs) He didn't have to wait for the enemies to show up. They was already there. So all those people you didn't invite to your party, they already just showed up. So you might as well get equipped for how to handle them. As much as they prowl around to remind you that they're there and to remind you of what you're not and to remind you of what you don't have, 
somebody in here is renting and really wants a house, stop letting the enemy compare, let you compare to everybody else who owns something that you don't. God has you where you are for a reason. And believe him for the goodness that he's coming with your home. And he's got it so specifically placed for you that he is waiting for you to get there. But listen. These enemies like to stay around and just nag at you to remind you of who you were and what you don't have. Get some practice under your belt. Don't wait for a 911 emergency call until you start, oh, okay, 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 I've lost my job, so now I'm going to declare by faith. Now I'm going to declare, okay, that's fine, you do that. But you could practice every day of your life. These faith declarations aren't here for momentaneous pleasure. The presence of God is not a performance. It's not a one-time experience. It is a transformative lifestyle. How do we respond when our heads are pushed down? Do we complain? Or do we start practicing gratitude? Complaining releases cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone that just like sits right here on your belly. And you start feeling a little bit rounder. And you start wondering why the dryer shrunk your pants. And you start wondering why everything feels a little bit smaller on you. Cortisol is a stress hormone that is released every time you complain. When you have gratitude, dopamine is released. It's a pleasurable one. It releases endorphins. You're happy. You want to do stuff. Trust me, I am a mother of four little women. Complaining sometimes has to happen, all right? I go running so that the cortisol doesn't just sit here, all right? But listen, there's no shame in that. What it is is that how long do you stay there? Are you willing to tarry in complaining or to tarry in gratitude? The goodness of God is that he actually created a physiological system in our bodies to tell us, stop complaining. I can't take no more. I can't live like this. So you start getting sick. You start getting chubby. You start getting depressed. You start getting slow. You can't go anywhere. All of those are physiological signs that God gave our bodies to say, stop. Stop. Do something different. How about gratitude? You know, my husband is an amazing man. He's essentially been working two full-time jobs for the last 18 months. He's been working his and then looking full-time to switch careers for our family. And um, in this last two weeks, you know, I hit, <laughs> I hit my wall. My husband is so much more gracious. I hit my wall. I stood in front of my husband. I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can wait. I don't think. And he just let me go. He let me go. And my goodness, he was so amazing. He stood right in front of me in the garage because we took this conversation to the garage because I was feeling very hormonal about it. And so we went to the garage where our children played. And I said, I can't. I can't. I was just standing there like this. And he was looking at me. And he said, I hear you. We do a lot of listener speaker in our marriage. He said, what I hear you saying is that, you know, you can't do this anymore. I said, yeah. And he said, I hear that. But you are, and you have to. So what do you need to do? <laughs> and I said, okay, get you a man that is so in tune with God that he can discern when it's time to indulge your emotions and when it's time to say, get up, come on. That's good. God is good. But listen, it was hard, and uh, my oldest daughter and I had some errands to run. And she came with me, and I was crying, and I told her, you know, it's, it's hard, and I, I told her a little bit and told her that things weren't, 
I, I was just full of sadness and I was full of some fear um, about our next season. And I just want to win for daddy. I want this to be over for dad. I went, I went, dad, you know, I was just telling her. And she was like, oh, mommy, how come God doesn't give us what we need when we need it? And I was like, well, I done opened a can of worms that I cannot back out of now. <laughs> and I said, all right, here's the deal, baby. God is actually so good that he knows when we need something better than we do. And oftentimes, when you see mommy start to get super impatient and starting to, I'm just about to say something silly, like, I just can't do this no more. I don't know when it's coming. That's usually about the time that the Lord is like, hey, I want to change how you're saying things right now. I want to mature you past this point this time. And so she asked me, how do we do that? How do you do that? We talked for a long time, and I said, well, I'm going to tell you one of the things that I have done since I've been married to Daddy, and it works. Sometimes it takes longer than others. And see, she's my baby. She's our oldest baby. So she was already with my story. She was, uh, she was offended on my behalf. She was sad on my behalf. And I sat across from the table at her with tears in my eyes, and I said, so we're going to do it. We're going to give thanks. And she said, I don't want to. And I said, I know. I don't either. This is why at the end of this scripture, David says, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. It's a sacrifice because to hold your head high means that you are in situations and circumstances where you are already low. So to learn how to hold your head high means you have to get Get intimate with sacrificing. Get used to making sacrifices outside of yourself. It's not about you. It's for you. And so we started. We started little. I said, sometimes when you don't have enough umph in you, and you got to go with just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. And so we started. I had her start. Thank you for our fingernails. Thank you for my fingers. Thank you. Listen, I'm nothing but 40 years old. Yes, I have a counseling degree. I am blessed to be able to do biblical counseling. But those days come. And the God, God did not say that they weren't going to come once you reached a certain degree in life. God didn't say that those kinds of days wouldn't come once you reach a certain age. They're coming. They're coming. So be equipped. Be equipped. And sometimes it's going to sound elementary. And sometimes it's going to feel embarrassing. Shame might creep in, but say it louder. Say it louder. Fill your mouth with the word of God. Thank you for my fingernails. Then we moved to toenails. Then we moved to shoes. Then we got into bigger stuff. Thank you for our clothes. Thank you for our home. Thank you for our food. And it grew into real things. Thank you for daddy. Thank you for nana and grandpa. And then I hear my oldest daughter begin to thank God for church. And I went, that's it. Holding your head high is not about you. It's for you. If in that moment I had made it about myself, I don't want to talk to my oldest daughter's ear off about my woes, my marriage, my circumstances, how God hadn't shown up before. What if he doesn't show up now? But instead, the mere act of saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, led and gave me fruit to watch my oldest daughter go, and thank you for the church. Our heads will be pushed down. Yes, they will. But how 
do you hold your head high? If it's up here, there are different ways. Setting your eyes on the greatness of God. Filling your mouth with the sacrifice of praise. I love our worship team because they make it a practice. They stop singing because it ain't a show. They say, just sing your praise to God. Whatever you have, give it to God. Let it be a sacrifice. Lifting power of the Holy Spirit. Filling my mouth with the word of God. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. I never saw a useful Christian who is not a student of the Bible. If a person neglects the Bible, there is not much for the Holy Spirit to work with. We must have the word. Because these next two things feel a little bit more in reach when the word of God is when we have the word of God, standing my ground and fighting back, believing God is in charge of my seasons. Holding your head high is an act of worship. It's an act of persevering in Christ. It's a choice. It's a choice. We have to choose. Oftentimes, we will arrive in certain places and say, but I'm still here. I'm still in this anxious cycle. I'm still in this. I'm still in this. I'm still in this. Can I encourage you to stop when you find yourself feeding that cycle with your own words? Find a scripture. Surround yourself with people who are accountable to the word of God. Commit to the house of God Find a church and stay long enough for people to know your first name and your last name, your birth date, and maybe where you live if they're safe. Do these things. Equip yourself to be able to get outside of your circumstances. Get your head up and find out who God says you really are. Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.